right, Lucas, this is going to be a bit that I think can be appreciated no matter what side of the paywall that you're on. You're either going to be hearing it before or you're going to be hearing it after. But who, who's going to be, who or what is going to be taking home some Oscars from Oscar weekend? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm happy to, this, that, this is what we're going to start with. So obviously, <laughs> you know, uh, my girl, uh, the greatest female conductor to ever live. Yes. Uh, Lydia Tarr is going to be taking home some gold. You know, if she could get past those cancellation accusations uh, that have been uh, levied at her feet. Folks, yes. you gotta see Tar to understand that one. Um, let's take a look here. The 95th Academy Awards. What a season. I will what just a say season. that this is the first year that I have entered an Oscar pool that is not within my own family. I entered a work Oscar pool. Ooh, I fun. threw down my $2 and I actually... I, I did research. Now, I didn't watch the movies. That's the best research you can do. But I did, huh. I like, I actually, like, looked the at the, I looked at the past few Oscar ceremonies, and, like, I put work into it. Like, I made some good, some, like, I feel like I made good choices, even though I have not seen very many of these films. So, I also had Tar in a couple of key categories. Yeah, this is this year is going to be really fun for us Oscar pool folks because like it's been three or so years of stinkers, whereas all right. ten of the best picture nominees this year not only are really good but are movies that people have actually watched. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's really fun. Well, who do you got for best picture? Will let's let's look into the crystal ball. I'm looking into the crystal ball. Who do you have for best picture? It's got to be Tar. I'm going with Tar. Really interesting. You're going with Tar. Ooh, mm. Tar was my favorite movie of the year. Um, but if I'm thinking like the Academy, I bet it's either uh, Banshees of Isherin or the Fablemans, perhaps. Mm. Or hey, they, maybe mm. they turn the award into what it really should be, which is most movie of the year. In which <laughs> case, it goes to Avatar. You know Avatar, what I mean? The Way of Water. Um, um, yeah, there was a couple that like. On its face, I also was thinking like Banshees or Fablemans, but uh, like I, I again, I kind of I did a little bit of like research, did a little bit of looking around. I kind of you know, looked at all kinds of different factors, and I ended up settling on Tar. And I gotta be honest with you, I don't hate that choice. Now I could always be hoodwinked. The Academy could always you know zig one way and then zag another on awards night, so I could very much be. Uh, not looking at every angle here, but yeah. I feel better about my choices this year than I have in many years prior. I mean, best director is going to be Tar, I think. Same with best actress is pretty much locked oh, in for Tar. Right. Hmm. Um, best actor um, is like, what a weird one, man. It's either going to be Austin <laughs> Butler, who maybe should win it again if you were doing it most acting. The guy never stopped being Elvis. Like, he That's was right. Elvis so hard that now he's Elvis for the rest of his life. Um, or, you know, I, I don't want to even wade into uh, uh, any sort of discourse here, but maybe uh, Brendan Fraser, the big comeback angle. Hollywood loves a comeback. Yeah. Um, and then some of these other ones, I don't really know about supporting actor. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, was, and why don't hmm. we talk about animated feature film, Will? We, we, we talk oh, about yeah. animation on this show. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Turning Red. It was one of your faves. Yes, it absolutely is. Uh, it's a five-star movie, if you ask me. It's one of my favorite Disney movies of the past little bit. And, I and like, I have liked a lot of recent Disney movies that I've watched. Most of them, anyway. But I think that, I like, I personally don't feel 
that like because the best animated feature category is very much like the Disney Pixar category and it's just like even the kind of like not great Pixar movies win all the time as compared to everything else but I don't think the momentum is behind Turning Red even though I love it I don't think that it is as beloved by general audiences audiences who watch animated features as some of the other movies, so I believe my pick was Pinocchio, the Netflix mm, Pinocchio, which mm. everybody loves. I except my liked mom. It. I liked it fine. I don't love it. My mom really? didn't your, like your it. Your mom didn't yeah. like it. She was like, "Why is this Pinocchio movie so sad?" She was. <laughs> she really did like it. Um, mm. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's got uh, what's his name, Tommy Kenny. Uh, playing Mussolini, the yeah, voice of SpongeBob yeah. playing Mussolini, and he shoots Pinocchio in the face at some point. Pretty, Sounds like something pr- I should watch. Pretty much, I think so. I, I like it's absolutely worth your time to watch it, especially if you have Netflix. I just didn't love it like everybody else did, but I'm kind of an outlier in that sense. So I'm going, I'm going with Pinocchio. I think that one's going to take it home. Also, someone, uh, a lot of people love that their Puss in Boots movie. Weirdly yeah. enough. Yes, they do, and I'm interested to see it. I don't think it's in a movie that's going to win an award. Like oh, I, yeah. I don't think I don't. Think I'll so. remind you that the first uh, best animated feature winner of all time is Shrek. That's true. Yeah. And and again, I could I could just be talking out of my butt here. Um, and 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 it was very much the Oscar pool game was not so much about like picking what I thought was going to win, but it was also kind of being selective in terms of like there are a couple of movies that are absolutely going to be taking home certain awards and that had to be kind of figured into it because it's like, well, they got to find something for everything everywhere all at once because everybody loves that movie. And so it's got to get something. And and so I had to play the game of like, are they going to give it everything or are, or are they not? So I had to really kind of hash it out with myself. It was a very interesting process. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. really excited. I listen, I, I have a little bit more capacity for all the pomp and circumstance of Tinseltown than most. I think a lot of my friends are over Hollywood. They're over the Oscars. Yeah. I, I feel like a dinosaur actually kind of caring about this <laughs> stuff a little bit. But uh, it, not since, like, oh, my God, like, 2011 has there been a group of 10 Best Picture nominees that I think are as interesting or as varied or as actually, like, entertaining uh, as the 10 movies uh, nominated this year. I think you would be well served. Listen, I haven't seen all of them, but of the ones I've seen, you know, I, I would recommend Tar, Top Gun, Triangle of Sadness, Elvis, for better or for worse, Avatar, to pretty much everyone. So, um, yay the movies, I guess. Yay the movies indeed. So, well, first of all, welcome to Elbit City Limits. This is the Episodic Arthur podcast. My name is Will Young, and my co-host is Lucas Mancini. If you're listening on the Patreon, you can hear these picks before the Oscars happen. If you're listening on the free feed, then you can find out just how wrong we really were. So you can have fun one way, or you can have fun the other way. Either one is just as good. So yes, we we will see if I get my two dollars back with uh, with interest, or if I just uh, threw that down a well and uh, proceeded to mess it all up. I'll I'll get back to you on that one. So we have got another episode of Arthur before us, but I'm happy to say that we have some emails, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com, and some of them concern a subject that we spoke about in the previous episode. So let's get to them. Again, if you'd like to send us emails and have them read out in the air, or if you would like to just send us some email correspondence, uh, you know, for off-air stuff, please feel free to do so. ElwoodCityLimits 
at gmail.com. Our first one comes from Matt, a.k.a. Suki, uh, or Suki Condor, or Suki Cat on the internet circles. Uh, community college student, I've been an avid follower of the podcast since early December of 2022. I seriously wish I discovered you guys sooner. I grew up on Arthur most of my life, so pinpointing an exact date is uncertain to me. What I can tell you I remember is when my family changed cable providers. One of the first things the TV defaulted to was our local PBS, KVPT18. The episode being the classic That's a Baby Show. From that point onward, watching Arthur before school would be a regular part of my morning ritual. From about seasons 11, to early 16, so around 2007 to 2012. While collecting VHS tapes and looking for episodes on YouTube to help fill the gaps, plus always checking out the books from my elementary school's library, even to the point my dad would make up his own joke versions. Like in Arthur Meets the President, DW fires nukes at the White House. Uh... Not, not bad, Dad. But but by season 16, when I was entering junior high, I lost interest in much of PBS Kids programming. But what's with what with the sudden rise of Arthur memes and out-of-context moments, it made me remember how great the series was with writing and characterization and the topics it touched on. My opinion on the Flash era is largely indifferent, since I haven't seen a lot of those, and neither have we, as, as you can tell. Uh, but one you guys will likely love is the episode where R.L. Stein plays Buster's uncle who's into cryptids. So that's for that's a long way off. We like we have a little while to go before we get to Mr. R.L. Stein. One more thing before I end this letter. Seeing both of you two are Canadian, I was wondering your history, if any, with the 1980s Canadian cult classic series, The Raccoons. Lucas, do you ever, you ever watch The Raccoons? The Raccoons, it's a little bit before my time. Like that's a show mm-hmm. that people who are. I would say slightly older than me often care about. My uh, reference point for the ac- raccoons is like Jet X guys who wear like CBC t-shirts under a blazer, like <laughs> Jet X like IPA guys. Maybe sometimes they swap out the CBC logo t-shirt for a, a raccoons t-shirt. That's who really sure. likes the raccoons in my mind. Um. So yeah, that same with me. The raccoons was really on TV. When my sister would have been a kid. So I have a sister who's uh, seven years older than me. And so she would have known about them. Now, the Raccoons was also played on uh, R.I.P. Uh, Teletoon. It was one of the like older Canadian programs. I never watched it because it like when I was a kid, it looked boring because there was <laughs> because there was no shooting. There was no weapons. There was no mm, karate mm. fighting. Mm. So I was kind of like I would watch the opening and it was just kind of like, ah, this looks old and boring. And I never found out if I was wrong or not. I do know that the ending credit song, Run With Us, is a banger. And uh, they use it very well in the film Hobo with a Shotgun. So uh, <laughs> maybe one of these days I should actually like watch an episode. But not a lot of history with the raccoons. Like I remember that when I think of that show, I think of watching Teletoon at my Baba's place, my grandmother's place, and then immediately changing the channel or deciding to do something that wasn't watching TV because nothing was on that I wanted to watch. No disrespect to the raccoons. Next one comes from Katie P. Hi, Will and Lucas. I want to answer your call for experiences with interactive whiteboards. When I was in seventh grade, my science teacher was chosen to test out the smart board, so literally like the episode we were talking about. My class was in awe of all the cool things it could do. At the time, smartphones were still new, and any interactive screen was seen as cutting edge. Ten years later, and I was student teaching seventh grade math and got to try out the smart board for myself. I didn't like it as much on the teacher end of things. Smart Notebook, the program that's used a smart board, is extremely fickle. For example, I found it really hard to tap on a text box that I used to create to edit its content. 
Right. Uh, when I started teaching, my classroom was equipped with a Promethean board, which is better than the smart board, in my opinion. What makes it superior is that it doesn't use a projector like the smart board does, and it truly emulates a large tablet. Because smart boards use a projector, sometimes the pen marks won't match up with the screen content, and you need to reorientate the board to match your pen strokes up with the content. It's a problem that gets worse over time, and I've had teachers frustrated with having to reorientate their boards often. This is never a problem with the Promethean board, Plus, their software is more user-friendly. Thank you again for all that you do. I love the new program schedule. So that actually answers a question in the last episodes of Word From Us Kids. I had said they look like they're using a screen, like a, like a pull-down screen. So I right. guess they were. It was more of a projection than it was like a, like a, like a giant tablet, as, as they're talking about. This is what we wanted. I wanted to hear everybody's smart board experience because... You know, I, I'm surprised by how much I was going off on smart boards last episode. <laughs> I didn't know I had that in me. Well, and, de- and it doesn't end there. We have another email correspondence from one of our patrons, Yoshi. Hi, Will and Lucas. And Yoshi, the, uh, you were the, one of the people I was thinking of because I know that you are a teacher. I hope you're doing well. I'm writing to share my experiences with smart boards. I remember when I was in 10th grade, around 2008, 2009, my chemistry teacher had a very early smart board. It looked a lot like a whiteboard, but with a more matte texture, and you couldn't use markers on it. Instead, there was a special pen that reacted with the board, sort of like a stylus, and could be used as a mouse to click and select on websites. It could also draw and write using a program similar to MS Paint. I distinctly remember my teacher jabbing the pen at the whiteboard in frustration all the time because it became uncalibrated pretty regularly. I don't remember the details, but I believe she received a grant for the smart board and wanted to prove that it was a useful tool in the classroom, but I honestly think we would have been better off without it. To my knowledge, the current science teachers at our school, I now teach at the school where I went, don't have anything like this. Most of the work is done through Google Classroom or a practical lab. None of my fellow English teachers have a smart board either, but we do spend a lot of time talking about AI and the implications of chat GPT. My English syllabus says that using chat GPT and passing it off as your own work is plagiarism, even if it isn't plagiarizing a human. I also teach journalism, and today a student and I talked about writing an article using chat GPT. PT, and then writing another article about that process to show its capabilities and shortfalls. It's hard to believe we're not living in a science fiction movie sometimes. Uh, yeah, also, uh, my wife does some correcting work on the side, and also, I don't I don't know if she has to deal with AI just yet. She does have to run it through that tool. Like, there's an online tool where you can see, like, if it has been, like, if there has been any, like, plagiarism, essentially. Mm. And usually... Especially when you're dealing with, I think, I think it's like a first year university thing. You can usually pretty easily tell when somebody's plagiarizing, like at that, at that, like they're they're, they're making rookie plagiarism mistakes. Right. They're not uh, listening to those old episodes of ECL when I would talk about how you got to find <laughs> an article in a different language, machine translate that, and then rewrite write the machine translated English version. Uh, they don't have those kind of insights. And then you ended up. You didn't hear it from me. (laughs) And then you ended up working for a post-secondary institution. So it's funny how life kind of comes together that way. Also, it was really funny to hear Lucas talk about Kahoot. I've used it with my students, and I require them to play using their real name. Call me a party pooper, but I was able to figure out every name you bleeped because I've seen it all and worse. (laughs) 
Anyway, I, like you, am not as much a fan of the Flash animation seasons of Arthur, but ECL is as enjoyable as always. Really liked your takes on this week's episode. Thank you for all you do. That was from Yoshi. Oh, P.S. If you have any ability to watch the Oscar-nominated animated shorts, I highly recommend it. I watched them the other day, and I think you'd both really like them. I think several can be found online. My favorites were The Ice Merchants and My Year of Dicks. Heads up for adult themes in the latter. That is the name of that short film. So... Uh, thank you, Yoshi, and thank you, everybody, for emailing us, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And I want to send another thank you to Liana in Oklahoma, who wrote us a very nice five-star review on the Apple Podcasts uh, store front, or whatever whatever that's called. And finally, uh, it wouldn't be an episode without thanking our patrons, who allow us to make cool content and bring this show out a week early. And we're at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We have people to thank, such as our very first patron, that is Leanne S. And Teresa, we thank Joe Sue. Thank you to Muppet Baby Cat and Michaela Gibson. Thank you to Valeria and Mary Archambault and Allison Archambault as well. Want to say thank you to Emmy the Ghost and Jay Wags, to Katie and to Jack and as well to Grace Cole, and thank you to Alex Koblenz, and to Ryui, our newest patron. If you would like to be thanked on the show, if you would like to get early editions of ECL, and our monthly side podcasts for the kids of PBS Kids Podcast and ECL Origins, all you have to do is pay what you want at patreon.com slash Limits. I was a little nervous going into this one, Lucas, because it turns out that we have um, we have two kind of DW-focused episodes, and we've been a little cool on those uh, for a few seasons. But let's see what we think here as we get into Night of the Tibble. This one uh, might not actually be a DW episode, but we'll get into it. Right. Everyone knows what it means when the wind changes direction. This this is the fir- this is the first line in this episode, and it really sets a tone for of surprise. Perhaps um, it's it's certainly a tone I don't necessarily associate with DW and and co episodes like the preschool episodes. As everybody's in the playground and the wind shifts, we see we actually get a cameo here from Shake, who is the young fellow from In My Africa, the episode we covered a little while back, as the wind changes, and like an oncoming storm, the Tibbles move into the playground to ask an unsuspecting James, want to come to our sleepover? And I I just finished watching Twin Peaks yesterday. I got through the whole third season, so I couldn't help when when they kind of, you see their shadow loom over James, and I just wanted one of them to say, got a light? (laughs) <laughs> I um, d- it's funny that you mentioned P- Twin Peaks because one of the things I've been critical thus far of the Flash seasons is that some of the more surrealist things that we used to uh, know and love from Arthur have kind of been flattened a little bit uh, just by the nature of animating with Flash and Flash backgrounds. And I really enjoyed this intro because it's atmospheric, it's moody, it's like impressionistic and cinematic in a way the Flash episodes almost never are, where we get these weird off-kilter angles and it's so ominous in comparison to how the opening usually is, especially like you said with a DW 
W and Co. Ep. So yeah, really cool intro. And then so this you're right. It's 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 all like again. It's it's just. Everyone knows what it means when the wind changes direction. I'm like, what is what is this? This is like the start of like a like a prestige drama or something. But it's the Tibbles, and they invite James over somewhat forcibly. The but it, it well maybe not so. But James is too awkward. He's too socially awkward to kind of say no. So he's kind of forcibly invited to a sleepover at the Tibbles place, and he's uh, commiserating with D.W. and Emily later about like why like why did you say yes. Uh, and James, James didn't really say anything. He just kind of went, uh, and then they assumed that meant yes. Um, DW, DW and Emily, you know, said, you know, say that he needs to be a bit more assertive in saying no. Whereas DW, when the tibbles come up, she says, I just cough until they went away. And we get this long, (laughs) uh, we get this long kind of imagination sequence from James about what exactly a sleepover with the tibbles is going to look like. And we see a little bit of this in the title card and, Pairing it with the with the weird moody cold open, it really sets like a a darker tone for the episode than I was expecting. And this is, it, you know, we get to this right away, which is like this is the worst that it could possibly be. This is James's thing, and he's imagining going over their sleepover. He's imagining like this stormy night. Um, basically, he gets there. They throw away his sleeping bag because they've drawn up a bed for him, Lucas. The bed is in the basement. And it's right. a bed of nails. <laughs> like, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, this is like, this is grisly." <laughs> yeah, the basement's one thing, but when they reveal, it's like full of spikes. Um, and then, like, what's the weird meal they try to they they try to give him mud pies <laughs> with worms? And then, what is the drink? I didn't catch what was the drink, but so, it kills a fly. So yeah, so this is like he's got the bed in the basement. It's a bed of nails. They also have their puppy chained up down there named Cuddles, and it's like you only see it in silhouette, but it's this like barking ravenous dog. So for snacks, they have mud pies and pond scum. <laughs> Oh, pond scum. That's really funny. To eat and drink. And yes, we see, like, we see a fly drink this pond scum, and it literally does the, like, "Eh, eh," like, it chokes and it it dies, essentially. And then they have this toy called the Flatter Fling, which they have a teddy bear on. It's a device that spins you around very fast and then flings you against the wall. And they put James into it. He begins to spin, and before he can be assumedly killed when he's flung up against the wall or all of his bones broken we end the daydream this was way darker than i expected anything to be even though it was like it's complete fantasy it reminds me of like some of the older like i think the one we always like to go to is like the long arm of the law and just how sometimes the arthur day like nightmares and imaginations could get a little twisted yeah this was a uh, good callback to the Arthur darkness of old. The 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 mantra I always say is that if it feels like it would be at home in that beloved uh, Arthur Death Grips AMV that we talk about all the yes. time, where oh, someone yeah. just edited together all the nightmare sequences from seasons one through three, uh, if it looks like it would be at home in that video, it's A-OK with me. And this is definitely a great example. The teddy bear spinning around in the death machine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's of it's of course done with the the flash animation, so it all feels like a little bit stiffer in the in the you know when you have 
I guess the relative freedom of like pencil drawings, you can get a little bit like off model and well, scarier or creepier, but they still like worked with what they had and it was still quite striking in its own way, this imagination sequence. So DW and Emily want to try and help James get out of the sleepover. And the thing is, is that he just, he has to be assertive. He has to, uh, as DW says, say what you have to, then get out of there. And James is going up to talk to them and he briefly speaks with his conscience, which is just a smaller version of him, but with like, um, not butterfly wings, but like hummingbird wings, insect wings. That's what I'm thinking of because they're very fast. And his conscience, you know, James is like, oh, I could say this. And his conscience is like, well, don't lie. Lying is bad. But then also comes up a different way to lie. And then so his conscience has its own conscience that is trying to get them to not lie. And James just gets frustrated. And uh, he and, and at, the, at this point, he still can't quite bring himself to say no. So he's just trying to figure out a way to do it. Uh, he's over at DW's place. He has to hide in the closet because the Tibbles come over. They keep talking about how they're prepping for the sleepover. They come over to borrow glue. And they're talking about how they've been staying up all night. They've been pulling all-nighters for everything they're going to do. And James assumes it's you know, some sort of torture device or something. We get this little... Uh, piece here where James accidentally left his glasses on DW's bed as he hides in the closet. And... This is like Burn After Reading or something. Like It's a weirdly <laughs> suspenseful scene as we watch James from uh, from James's perspective, the Tibbles walking around being like, is it these James's glasses? And I, I was almost f- fearful for the guy for a second. And and and, and uh, DW plays it off as one of Arthur's glasses, and so I think it's Timmy puts them on. He's just like, "I'm Arthur." Duh, like, bah, 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 bah. I love that. That's every kid's go-to Arthur impression. That he's just like completely rock stupid. Uh, they almost get him. DW clo- closes the closet when Timmy can't see, and so again, James is just really, really terrified. Um. So he does finally, James finally manages to screw up the courage and say no definitively. But the Tibbles get really upset. Like, they start crying, and they basically throw themselves on him, just, like, begging him to come to the sleepover. And that kind of turns the table a little bit. There's a bit of, we see them kind of throw themselves at his mercy, Then we go from DW and Emily's perspective and we see James the next day and he's got that thousand yard stare. I actually I laughed. He's shoveling sand in the sandbox into into like a sand bucket and he's just looking ahead and not paying attention. He's just like seeing the flashbacks in his head. It was it was a funny visual. And he said, yeah, he couldn't he, he immediately took it back. And so he's going to go with them for a sleepover. And he does. Um. I liked this. This was a good choice. So back at school on Monday, James isn't there. And <laughs> DW and Emily immediately assume the worst. And they like they don't say as much, but they come pretty close to they just assume they killed him. Like they assume that James is dead. Yeah, and- that's the through line through this whole episode <laughs> is DW is constantly like talking about like James, can you leave me your finger paints when you're gone? Like, right. there's quite a few references uh, that this might be James's ultimate demise if he goes to the sleepover. And they even like they just they just take it for granted. Like, okay, James James is dead. Just like they don't say that, but they bring bouquets of flowers to his mom to his house to give to his mom because they assume that he is dead. But he answers the door, and he's and he was sick for a reason having to do with the sleepover. But he says it was a totally normal sleepover. He got there. 
Um, and Grandma Tibble made a bunch of like really, really great food. And the Tibbles were so tired from pulling all-nighters that they basically fell asleep immediately. So the whole thing was just James being fed food until he was until he was full, and then some. And then he had a tummy ache for two days, so he had to miss a day of school because he was still laid up from the tummy ache. But otherwise, he had a good time. This was an extra sleepover, Will. They had a banner that said, Welcome James. Yeah. You can tell they- that, yeah, the, the Tibbles aren't having that many guests. No, exactly, and it's it's that classic thing of, like, they built it up so much that I, I feel like we've seen this in a bunch of cartoons before of just, like, it's it's going to be, like, the worst thing ever, and then it turns out it's like, oh, actually, no, it was, it was really good, and he got to eat, like, pizza and cake and ice cream and cookies and, like, all this good stuff, so otherwise it was really good, and then we actually get an inverse of the cold open to end off the episode where it's, it's, it's again, it's, the, it's that line about the wind shifting, and then it's like, that means the Tibbles are coming to the playground. But then that means everybody wants to ask them to go to their house because now they have the reputation of having these really cool sleepovers. So they even have to, like, take appointments, basically, um, to make sure that everybody gets their turn at the sleepover. And it was, uh, I just kind of, it, it in in retrospect, it seems obvious that's where we ended up. But uh, it was an interesting way to, to, to take this uh, direction, I suppose. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. Things that make us nervous. I mean, it's easier to ask what doesn't what doesn't make me nervous. But we get a third grade class who are talking about the things that make them nervous and how they get over their fears. So there's a there's a couple Lucas in here that really that uh, that 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 spoke to me. So there was first there was the kid who was nervous about sleeping over in an aquarium. And he had this intrusive thought that I completely understood for his age. It's like he was afraid that, you know, he was sleeping next to the tank and he was afraid the tank would burst open and all the water would get over him. And like the tur- the turtles in the tank would, you know, be crawling over him. I can understand that at, at his age. Yeah, it's like brain in that episode where he goes to the aquarium and he like has a panic attack. Do you remember this? Yes, yeah, water in the brain, yeah. And it and 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 there was also a separate Arthur. Well, no, sorry, they were doing a sleepover in a museum in the one I'm thinking of. But yeah, I guess um I, I guess classes still do this where they go to like a big institution to have a sleepover there. I'm I could see myself being a little nervous like sleeping next to a giant fish tank, you know? Oh, I would love just, it. That's my dream, Will. That's my dream sleeping environment next to a giant fish tank. I feel like it would be so soothing. Well, and uh, well, right. And it's like now in adulthood, I've seen those TikToks that are like, here's your hotel that is, your hotel room that is like at the bottom of the sea. And I'm like, that sounds like the best sleep that I could ever get. You know, or just like one of those one of those wacky ones, like here's a hotel made of ice or something. So that actually sounds pretty cool. I totally understand the kids who are scared of roller coasters, rides and water slides. Um, So am I. And you know what? Kudos to these kids. A lot of their a lot of their solutions are like um, just go on the ride and like face your fear. Like, yeah. But I have a new wrinkle. To, I have a new wrinkle to this because I forget it. Did I tell on the show the story about going to Splash of Facts a couple of years ago? I don't remember this. Will Splash of Facts? So yeah. Wait, um, what the heck? Where we live in, uh, there's there was a summer attraction open that was called Splash of Facts, and you may have had it where you were. It's basically it's a giant. 
it's 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 like an inflatable playground that they set up on like a body of water and it has like a bunch of slides and like yes, climbing yes. stuff and it's for all ages. This was at uh, Hatfield Farms when they had it up. And so me so my wife and I went and it was, you know, we we had fun. It's really it's it's surprisingly tough on older bodies cuz it's like you're 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 on this inflatable thing in the water and you're always fighting to stay balanced and you're falling over all the time. But you're also falling like if you fall down you fall in the water. So it's not that bad. And they also have this giant I don't know how I would describe it. It's basically a story tall and it looks like a giant unicorn and it's acts as both a slide and a jump off point. So I decided I was going to be brave. Lucas, I don't think, you know, through the seven years we've been doing this podcast, I think a lot of people would assume I'm not a really a brave person, but I decided, you know, we paid, we paid to be at splash effects. I'm going to go up to the giant unicorn. I'm going to jump off. What's the worst that could happen? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I did go up to the giant unicorn. And of course, of course, you know, I'm up there and there's like seven-year-old kids that are like, woo, jumping off. And I'm like, okay, if I can't do what a seven-year-old does, like, come on. I'm a grown man. I can do this. So I jump off. And I, and one of the things they get you to do is they get you to wear a life jacket at all times. I'm a very strong swimmer, but I understand this. You want to make sure everybody is as safe as possible. So wear a life jacket. So I had a life jacket on. I jump off this thing. Again, this is it's like a story tall. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to cross my arms and we're going to be fine. As soon as I hit the water, my arms fling up and something like like all of a sudden I can't lower my arm, my right arm. It really really hurts. And like I hit the water, I get this huge pain in my arm and like all of the air escapes as I like surface and I like can't put it down. It's it's the weirdest thing, dude. So I'm like swimming to shore because our time is over. You get like an hour or something and I can't put my arm down. It just hurts so much. And I get out of there and I finally managed to get it down. But it's so it hurts so bad. And in fact, I realize as we walk back with like the group that we were with and there were a bunch of kids in there. I was kind of telling my wife what happened and I did the same motion. I put my arm up again and this huge 10 out of 10 flash of pain hits me and I and I like drop to my knees. I'm cursing, I'm swearing and then I look around. I'm just like, "Oh, I'm 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 sorry." Like I look at all the kids. I'm just like, "I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that." Anyway, what happened is is that I tore my rotator cuff and it's only this year. It's only a month ago that I left physiotherapy completely oh, wow. healed. This two this was two years ago. So the lesson I took away from this was don't be brave. Don't face your fears. You will get hurt. Okay. So that's what wow. I learned. Oh my Thanks a lot, gracious. Splash Effects. No no uh, and hey, no disrespect to Splash Effects. Like, I think if I just ha- if I hadn't have done that, I guess that's on me. Like I, I had fun otherwise until I didn't. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> Conversely, folks, I'm going to say be brave, uh, get messy, make mistakes, just like Miss Frizzle says, uh, mm-hmm. and that will is the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> yeah, so yes, be brave, but it might hurt you, which I get, which maybe maybe that's the real lesson to learn, is that that doesn't mean you won't get hurt, but I, I took it in a very negative way because it was two years of uh, uh, really, really annoying pain that I wish I could take back, but such is life. 
Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast, Instagram, at at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. The second part is, again, it's it's kind of a DW episode, and it's called Reed and Flumbergast, which I had no idea what in the world that was referring to. So this one starts off with the Reeds getting a new fridge. So we're updating the old model fridge that they have. The fridge that Arthur and his family had are very is very much like the fridge I have now at my apartment. It's very basic. It's very, you have a fridge door, you have a freezer door, um, layered horizontally. You know, no, nothing really to write home about. This fridge, it's got the vertical opening. It's got heated drawers uh, for different for different heat settings for whatever food you want to put in there. And it's got an ice maker, which, Lucas, I think this just speaks to <laughs> maybe the um, income level I'm currently sitting at. But, my dude, a fridge with an ice maker, that's like the height of luxury to me. I know. These are like one of those fridges. Do you remember when that girl – there was a girl who was like – she had, like, some sort of Stan account or something, and she eventually, like, her mom took her phone away, and she's like, don't tell my mom I'm tweeting from my fridge right now. Do you know what I'm yes. talking about? Yes, yes, anyway, that's right. This, is, this would be the type of fridge you could tweet from. <laughs> One of the smart fridges of just, like, why would you need that? But, like, it really is, like, it, it's, just a, it's just a luxury marker to me. So they get this new fridge, and with it they get almost as exciting, or actually potentially more exciting, a huge box the huge box that the fridge came in. And DW has all these ideas for what it could be. It could be an elevator. It could be a mobile home for birds. It could be a motorboat. It could be a submarine. It could be all of these cool things. It's just, it's the thrill of having a huge box. Like, I think even, maybe maybe I should speak for myself here. Even now, I would love to have a giant cardboard box to make something out of, you know? that That's just, and that's to me, that's timeless fun. Uh, to me, a giant cardboard box is a nuisance at this day and age, but uh, of course I, I have not gotten past the fond childhood memories when, yes, a cardboard box could... I, I, I uh, played spaceship in a cardboard box mm. like the best of them. That's, oh, what a great memory. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it's it's different because there's there's a lack of space around me and there's an abundance of size in my body. So it, it's not an uh, it's not the best time in my life to be playing with a giant cardboard box, but the memory of it still sits very strongly with me. So eventually, DW uses this fridge box to make her own office where she and Nadine are going to do work. And it's basically just playing office simulator. Um... I found it interesting here. We see that DW can 
kind of right. She knows how to write her letters if she's helped. She gets Arthur's help to write DW's office on like a on like a placard. So she can do that, but she I, she can't quite do it herself. But DW here embracing the WFH lifestyle, the work from home lifestyle because Lucas as we're two we're 3 years removed from the start of the work from home boom, we're still litigating if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But DW uh the queen herself adopted it way before any of us. It's true. And I wish my home office looked like this cardboard box. She's got a pretty nice setup in here. Absolutely. And she and she's working side by side with Nadine. Um, what exactly they're doing for work, not sure. DW gives gives Nadine a check, a check mark, and Nadine asks for a raise. And also, Nadine is on a first-name basis with the Tooth Fairy, whose name is Patricia, apparently. The Tooth Fairy calls the office, and DW doesn't have a waggly tooth, so call back in a couple of months. So then we have Bud. Bud comes over, and what happens here is that, you know, again, it's nebulous exactly what kind of work DW is doing, but Bud tells her about a situation that he had where he believes that Tommy Tibble stole his red icing cupcake when they were having cupcakes at preschool. And this leads to DW, to Bud essentially lawyering up with DW services. Uh, to get an apology from Tommy, and then in that in that sense, when they go over to the Tibbles to confront them, Timmy acts as the opposition. This is also where we find out again a little bit of Arthur lore here. Uh, Nadine's last name is Flumbergast, so that's Reed and Flumbergast is the name of their business. And DW not even really sure what a lawyer is, but decides to be Bud's lawyer anyway. And LaDonna has to explain to them what a lawyer is. She's She reads them the comic book Habeas Canine Legal Beagle, which I'm uh, that was probably a, a workshopping session in the writer's room there to figure out the best dog lawyer puns that they could do. So DW becomes Bud's lawyer and also in an inspired bit, guilts Arthur and his friends into being judge and jury. Uh, when they do when they do pretend court on a Saturday. In fact, Binky is as the bailiff also serves notice to the Tibble twins to get them over on Saturday. This just led me to like the scene in which DW guilts Arthur into 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 doing this because Arthur's very reluctant. Um, it just it, it it made me think I guess ahead slash back to the final episode of the show and the unfortunate final fate of DW's character why wasn't she an actor like I I think like there's at least 10 occupations I can think of that I'd rather DW do and that would make sense for her character but right here is just like well why wasn't she an actor if anything or yeah or a lawyer or a lawyer yes that even even that would would have been an acceptable pivot at least here it's like DW could be an actor hey if you wanted to be self-reflexive you could even have DW be a voice actor like that would have been a little cute, little cheeky nod to, to just Arthur in the in the final episode. Why not? So, yeah, Bud. Uh, excuse me, DW is Bud's lawyer, and they fill the rest of it out. Buster is the judge, which immediately bad choice. I, I, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe or, they were... or the best choice. Uh, okay, why, why, the, really... why the why the why the best choice? Uh, because for our entertainment as a viewer, there are some amazing Buster as the judge moments in this. Uh, you know, they should call it a rabbit court, not a kangaroo court, because, um, 
you know, Buster starts off the trial by saying, first of all, I'd like to say you're all guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair enough. He, you know, maybe he's a better TV judge than he is like an actual judge. Um, Binky's the bailiff. Arthur, shake LaDonna and James are the jury. (laughs) Now, what we get here is essentially the courtroom drama. I liked this. Like, I thought that this was generally very funny. Um, Timmy is, of course, very aggressive in his lawyer tactics. And it also, like, you know, it's a little bit of, speaking of shows I just finished, uh, Better Call Saul. There's some real, like, slipping Jimmy going on here because uh, Timmy is just like, it's like, Your Honor, Tommy doesn't even know what a cupcake is. And Tommy goes, is it a muffin? <laughs> got I, yeah, the I, I thought pat. this was great. Yeah. Um, and And later when he has Bud on the stand, Timmy is even more aggressive because he's like, what, like, what is Bud short for? And Bud's like, I don't know. And then Timmy says, he doesn't even know who he is. Like (laughs) complete obfuscation, like great, great lawyer work here. Great in parentheses. We also at one point find out that Buster has his own imaginary friend. Did you catch this? Yes. So Buster, I believe it's DW, tries to use witness testimony from the imaginary friends, to which Buster says that the only imaginary friends allowed in the court are his imaginary friend. And then he says, you're welcome, Xenon. Off screen, (laughs) usually this is made even funnier because I feel like it would be less funny if we actually saw Xenon like we see the other imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, it's just Buster talking to himself like a maniac. Well, and we also get reference to not so we see Nadine, but we also get reference to Bud's imaginary friend and to the t- the Tibbles one, that wormy one, the slimy worm one. So they 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 say it by name, but we don't see it. Um, DW has to leave at some point, which is part of her big uh, final final act. Uh, and Bud uh, calls Tommy to the stand. He tries his famous stare from the first episode of this season. But Tommy knows enough now to block them with sunglasses, so it doesn't work. It almost works. But DW had to go away. She had to run an errand with her dad, and they bring in cupcakes for everyone to try. This is the plan to get Tommy to implicate himself, because his whole thing is that he doesn't like cupcakes. He he barely even knows what they are, so there's no proof that he stole uh, Bud's cupcake, even though Bud saw him with the cupcake frosting on his mouth. So DW brings them in. She goes to give one to Tommy, and is like, oh, sorry, I forgot, you don't like cupcakes, no problem. And then she distracts everybody. I think it's like, it's like, is that a bald eagle? And while everybody is looking away, Tommy scarfs it, but he didn't finish quite working it out so he's chewing like he's still mid-chew essentially he implicates himself and then eventually he confesses tearfully and uh they they win the case and i guess they just get the apology everybody got cupcakes anyway so that's really what bud was looking for and then that is essentially the one and only case of reed and flumbergast because dw's box is recycled they give it away on recycling day and DW says she's just happy she doesn't have to work for another 20 years. And yeah, that's that's pretty much how that one that one ends up. It was a it was a it was a fun little journey that I think we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about as we go back on as you said Lucas, these are I I I called them DW episodes, but they're more they're not just they don't begin and end with her, especially this first one, Night of the Tibble. Um really different in many ways. What did you think of it? 
Yeah, I actually would consider this just to be a James episode. Uh, right. DW yeah. kind of pops up in to check in with him, but it's really James's journey. Um, and I really, really liked this episode. Mm. Uh, I think this is yet another good sign that um, great stuff can still happen in the Flash era. And this one was one where I thought it was actually kind of a little bit more visually interesting than the Flash episodes tend to be. But the writing is the strongest part. I loved all of uh, James's kind of machinations of what he expected the Tibbles sleepover to be like. James is the perfect character to put this uh, situation because... I also liked how James was wrapped with guilt that he couldn't just tell the Tibbles he didn't want to hang out with them. There's right. that really great moment where James is talking to his conscience and then he talks to his conscience's conscience, um, which I thought was a really funny moment. Um, there's kind of DW being all morose, thinking that James is going to die. Uh, I liked the way this episode's kind of put together and edited, where us as the audience don't really know what happens to James until he's kind of retelling the story in retrospect. You know, you you don't see the sleepover happen uh, until after the fact. Um, and I think that's a good, interesting writing way of keeping the audience in suspense. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was it's it's really straightforward and there's not necessarily a moral to it i guess the moral would be don't judge a book by its cover kind of one of those classic old standbys uh, but i think it's just a funny situation good use of a character that we don't see in the main event slot that often um and it had me laughing and entertained throughout I agree with you. Um, I think you might be just a tiny bit higher in it than I am, but there's a lot to like, and it all, like, it all captured me immediately with the un, very unArthur-like vibes, and I say that in a good way because it was, it kind of threw me off a little bit of just like, wait, what's happening here? It drew me, it effectively drew me into the story, and it was, it was an interesting one to explore because sometimes we use the Tibbles as their own characters, and sometimes they're more like forces of nature that we kind of have to have the characters um, deal with in some way. And this kind of cut it down the middle in a way that I liked. It was very much that they are still very intimidating, and I really enjoyed James's uh, imagination sequence of like all of the horrors that await him in the Tibbles' house. And in the end, it's really just that like they have a hard time making friends and they are desperate for people to actually want to spend time with them, which is like sometimes they could come across like a little inhuman, like they just kind of, like they're just kind of little troublemakers and that's it. But really, they do want people to be their friends. They just have a hard time with it. And we've all known kids like that. So and and yeah, it, it actually t told it quite well and was I don't want to say grim because, well, maybe maybe it was like it's a little more grim because it's just like, well, even if you're a little kid watching this, the implication is that James is dead, <laughs> which you're not supposed to think about it that seriously, but it is funny that they actually did use that for a plot point, and to good effect, I thought I thought it was quite funny. So, yeah, I, 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 also, I also enjoyed this. I thought this was good. And I would also say the same thing for Reed and Flumbergast. I liked this quite a bit, and it's just you give the kids the opportunity to be lawyers, and it's just kind of funny. Like, it's just you take these characters and put them in this situation that they would normally never be in. It's a little bit heightened, uh, especially with the inclusion of, like, Nadine. But then you also have a lot to work with because there are some characters who slot really well into the lawyer television show tropes. Um, 
I thought that this was a, you know, Bud was not used enough to be annoying. So I, I appreciated that. But like the setting of it in the backyard, the going through of all the typical um, lawyer beats in terms of like getting served notice, uh, you know, cross referencing witnesses and uh, aggressive tactics in the court. It was, it was all it was all very funny and in a way that uh, felt like that felt very Arthur and in terms and I guess DW in this case. So, yeah, I, I, I also I also liked this quite a bit. There were a couple of really funny lines and just it was it was just a really fun episode to watch. Yeah, I'm a little bit cooler on this one, but I really liked this episode, too. The reason I didn't the, – the one negative I have is that it, it takes a little bit to get going. Like, I was having a hard time paying attention with all the pre-courtroom stuff of kind right. of the setup of how Bud got into this situation. And it's pretty front-loaded with the Bud, and I'm still not completely sold on uh, on Bud. You know what I mean? So – yeah. That being said, uh, once we get into the courtroom drama, uh, oh man, what this was awesome. Uh, I, I, it's just so weird to see Arthur like try to do basically like what's a Jonathan Grisham novel or something. <laughs> like right. it's the, the last thing I expected from a DW episode uh, is all of the the high drama that you could get with a courtroom. And we have some amazing, you know, a few good men style moments here. Like you said, uh, <laughs> with he doesn't even know what a cupcake is. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought this was throughfully entertaining, uh, especially, you know, at at the end, uh, even though it was a little bit obvious, uh, DW's method of finally getting the truth, um, I, I I thought it was great. It was very clever in a way that like y- you didn't necessarily expect the, the the way in which she kind of brought it back there. So I, I thought they 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 wrote this very well and 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 told this very well. So yeah, a really enjoyable episode. And see, this is this is the kind of stereotype smashing that we're doing here. Is that even though. We started off on a bit of the wrong foot in terms of, well, maybe not even the wrong foot, but we had our own preconceived notions coming into this season, and we met them head on in the first episode and reckoned with them, and now I feel like we're over that and we're starting to like, we're starting to get into a groove here. I think we're starting to figure out what it is that we like, what it is that we don't like, and finding that there is, I, I was I was going to say both in equal measure, but really, I'd say more good than bad at this point, and it's... I mean, that's great. That means that we want to watch. We want to watch more. It's not like, you know, I was always a little bit afraid that we would start the the 16th season and be like, uh, this isn't fun anymore. But that's not true. Like, I, I think we're I think we're still having fun with the show. And it's really it's, it's really great to be able to continually rediscover that. So, yeah, very happy we got to talk about this one. And as we will in the next episode of Elwood City Limits. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, just a reminder, of course, uh, if you are a patron, we have up our, uh, episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, uh, episode 51, it's all about Xavier Riddle, or excuse me, Xavier Riddle in the Secret Museum, and that is available for patrons now. If you're on the free feed, you can also access a free preview of that and check out, uh, a little bit about what we talk about if you want the full thing. 
you can pay what you want to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. At the end of this month, we are going to be having an ECL Origins episode about a true favorite from both Lucas's and my childhood. I'm really excited to talk about sticking around. I'm like, I, oh, I, how, how are we going to choose an episode for that? That's going to be impossible. There's so many good ones. Uh, but I am going to have fun going back to that, doing a little bit of research and, of course, talking about it with Lucas because that's the best part of this. And we are going to be doing even more talking when we roll into a new episode of ECL next week. Uh, we're talking The Last Tough Customer and Brain's Chess Mess. Now, The Last Tough Customer, we still we still get rumblings here and there from the ECL listeners. I think this is one that some people have been waiting for us to talk about for quite a while. And from the name alone, I'm already interested. You've got me hooked. We're talking about the tough customers. I'm in. Yeah, I'm excited. And hey, chess mess. I feel like chess is big again. Not that it ever left or anything, but you know, lots of people talking about chess.gob these days. Uh, happy to dip into the world of chess as well. And of course, no matter when you're listening, you can either uh, wait for the Oscars in anticipation, like we are for the next five day, five or six days, or you can laugh at us for how wrong we are. Um, Lucas, I guess we, I guess we may commiserate about this in the next episode, but if you're going to be doing any pooling or any predicting, uh, best of luck. And, uh, I hope your, I hope your guys win, whoever your guys are in this year's Oscars. But yeah, I, I'm really excited, uh, to check in with Tinseltown, uh, and my, my girl, Lydia Tar. We will see if Tar is, uh, <clears throat> Okay. Well, okay. Now, now I'm now I'm caught my pants down here. I was going to try to think of uh, a rhyme, a, a snappy rhyme. We'll see if Tar raises the bar ah. at this year's Oscars. Man, I really hope so. I'd really like to get my money back. Anyway, that's Elwood City Limits. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Uh, I'm Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. You mean just tell them I don't want to go because it'll be the worst night of my life? We'll see you next time.